Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome. Today on Catholic Baltimore, we're talking about a new investment in Catholic education in the Archdiocese of Baltimore with Jim Selinger, Chancellor for Education of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, and Dr. Barbara Edmondson, Superintendent for Catholic Schools. Talk to us today a little bit about what's going on in our schools and where we're moving forward from here. Well, you know, when I joined the Archdiocese a couple years ago, you know, Barbara and I uh, are locked at the hip and we were focusing on, you know, maintaining the academic excellence of our schools, which is second to none, uh, but also focusing on uh, enrollment management, uh, branding, marketing, advancement, technology, and public policy. Um, and it's fair to say we've made progress on all the fronts, whether it be academic or all the things I just mentioned. But uh, we quickly realized that uh, we had other challenges. Uh, rising costs in the operation of our schools, a continued aging of our schools' facilities, and a changing demographic. And facing those is, is, a, is a difficult cho- challenge. So if we're going to be able to maintain a highly enrolled schools that are accessible, and that are desirable for Catholic students to attend in the future, we had to address these three challenges. Um, We know from the marketing study we did uh, back in 2014-15 that our Catholic education remained highly regarded by our parents. Um, But also was importantly noted in that marketing study that we did have some educational improvements that were necessary, but we also had the need to address our facilities. I mean, it was called out in the survey that modernization of schools was an important thing on it, on our parents' minds. Uh, enrollment has stabilized uh, after 10 years of decline. This year in the Archdiocese, our elementary schools are down 17 students on a base of over 11,000. And uh, our high schools are down 22 students on a base of about 3,000. All said and done, I mean, the Archdiocese enrollment is only down 39 students. And that's the first time I could say, and Barbara, please chime in, uh, that, you know, enrollment is stabilized for the first time in a decade. And when, when Jim spoke about, or about our parents, what our parents wanted in this marketing research study, it's important to realize that it wasn't just our parents attending schools. It was parents across the Archdiocese, um, Catholic and non-Catholic families, parents, as, as Jim said, who attended our schools, but also those who did not. And they, they held our schools in very high regard, but really were looking for the best options for their students. So facilities and the modernization of facilities became a top priority to us. So if we're going to remain relevant uh, for future generations of students, um, we need to make sound, sound uh, business decisions and investments so that we can sustain and grow our Catholic schools. Now, we know uh, that Baltimore County uh, and uh, Baltimore City are doing the same thing. They're evaluating uh, the locations and status of all their schools. And they have a 10-year plan in both Baltimore City and Baltimore County to invest uh, approximately, I believe it's $1 billion, to renovate and build new and replacement schools. 
So we quickly realized that we need to be proactive. So 18 months ago, uh, we launched the school's master planning process uh, to provide us with a roadmap uh, toward a future uh, vision of our educational environments on the east and west sides of Baltimore. Uh, rather than do it ourselves, you know, we engaged a team led by experienced professionals uh, from Air St. Gross, uh, Fielding Nair, and Data Story with expertise in planning, demographics, and data analysis. And, but they also brought to the table, in, in particular with Fielding Nair, uh, a strong grasp of the technical aspects of a 21st century educational facility. So they conducted a, a qualitative and quantitative analysis of 22 schools uh, that were comprised in Baltimore City uh, and in the near and perimeter of both the east and west sides. And in that qualitative and quantitative analysis, they looked at things like demographics to identify demand to support our enrollment now and in the future. So, you know, not to use a hockey term or something like that, but we want to know where the puck's going to be so we can skate to the puck. Then we looked at infrastructure, you know, facility condition assessments, uh, understanding needed improvements and, and the associated cost. Uh, and when I say facility conditions, we're talking roofs and the skin of the building and things like that. We need to keep the water out of our schools. But we also quickly went with Barbara, and Barbara maybe could speak to this, but you know, Barbara met with Fielding there, and they uh, defined what our 2B school would look like. Uh, specifically as it relates to educational facility effectiveness and how the school might uh, be improved to be able to provide a higher uh, 21st century-like education. So Barbara, maybe you could talk about the meeting with uh, Fielding there. Sure. Well, I, I, I do want to just really uh, underscore what Jim was saying, that this report not only looked at what one might consider the maintenance and repair needs of a school, because certainly those are critical issues, but really looked at what would the school need to be in order to meet the demands of a 21st century education. Certainly the first thing we think about is the integration of technology and the infrastructure for that. When people think of 21st century, that's what they think of. But it's a lot more than that because we know that in the current uh, work world today, uh, the future for our children is to provide them environments that allow them to really be collaborators, problem solvers together. And so, you know, providing spaces where students can work together and team together. In addition, it's important for any school to be able to offer a myriad of options for students in the arts, um, for physical education, green spaces today. So what would that look like in our schools? Also services that help us to meet the needs of, of students with special learning um, challenges, as well as counseling services. All of those things need to be part of a school. And our buildings are very aging buildings i think jim you've mentioned again and again maybe the average is 60 60 plus years old those buildings were not built to have those services and those opportunities they were built as traditional classrooms where the teacher has a desk and the students have have desks as well and everyone works and maybe moves things around a little bit to adjust but they weren't built for the kind of learning and collaboration and opportunities and services that need to be provided for today's children so what, what uh, Fielding Nair did in working with Barbara and her associates is they uh, created what they call an educational facility effectiveness instrument. Uh, they went out to all the schools um, and assessed the schools on, on those elements. 
you know, so as Barbara said, we're looking at learning spaces, we're looking at technology integration, we're looking at fine arts, we're looking at student support services, uh, student dining, uh, health and physical fitness. You think about all the things that go into an educational facility in a 21st century world that we live in, you've got to make sure that we have those particular things within our schools. And many of our schools are, as Barbara said, 61 years. I think mean, in the study area, you know, the average age was 61 years. Uh, the highest, the oldest school was 95 years old. So you can see how big a challenge this can be and the associated costs that might be uh, come into play when one has to bring a school that's, that, that is that old uh, up to 21st century Sanders. And then finally, also a site analysis. I mean, if we're going to grow, and that is the intent here, this is about investment. This isn't about, you know, cost containment. This is about investing in the future of our schools. Uh, can our sites accommodate growth? Uh, some of our schools are severely landlocked. Uh, other schools have very good capability to expand and add additional facilities uh, to accommodate growth. So the last thing that, that the team also looked at is operational expense. Uh, it was an assessment of the operational cost of our schools uh, versus enrollment and revenues uh, to deliver the highest quality education to our students and families. So all four of those things are very, very critical uh, to the assessment of the future of, of our schools. So based upon um, the qualitative and quantitative analysis, uh, schools were identified for future investment, merger, and closure. And also demographics pointed to the fact that we had areas of growth and potential expansion of Catholic education. And so it's aspirational uh, that we would potentially build a couple new schools uh, in the future. Uh, one on the east side potentially and one on the west side. But one doesn't just go out and put a shovel in the ground and build a new school uh, without raising the money uh, because you cannot put debt service on top of tuition. Uh, but also you got to make sure that we are doing the right thing with the schools in the surrounding areas because we don't want to uh, take enrollment away from other schools. We want to capitalize on demographic growth uh, to be able to have a sustaining and growing school. So there's still a lot of due diligence uh, that needs to be done uh, to ensure that we do the right thing if in fact we were to potentially build two new schools that, that were identified as, as potential in, uh, in the study. So. No, I think it's, it's important to, uh, to mention that uh, during this 18-month process that the schools, the leadership of the schools were very much involved in the process. Um, there were visits done by the team that, that, that Jim uh, talked about, and then there were consultations done so that people understood when we made decisions in terms of our investments for the future, creating a vision for the schools, that they understood what the status was of their school and had an opportunity to share thoughts, insights, things that they knew within our community that maybe they thought maybe we didn't touch on, but that there was very collaborative uh, with regard to setting the stage for decision making. I want to make sure you, we all understand that the qualitative and quantitative analysis, the focus on this master plan, and it's what it was called, is about investment. It wasn't about contraction. Mm -hmm. uh, the positive thing we have going for us right now and, uh, and moving forward is we have sustainable enrollment. Uh, so there's opportunity for growth. Um, so when you think about the decisions that were made by the team, and transparency with our schools was front and foremost important to us. Uh, you know, demographics to sustain and grow enrollment, cost associated with addressing facility conditions, 
and necessary educational improvements, which are large because of the age of the facility. And then the expense uh, to sustain uh, high quality uh, school operation in the face of current and, uh, and future enrollment. So bottom line is uh, we are at, at a point now uh, where we're ready to roll out the results of this, um, this study, or we have rolled out the results of this study. Uh, and we will be working with the schools on, on the investments. We'll be working very closely with the families on the transitions as it relates to mergers and or closures. Thanks. We've been talking this morning on Catholic Baltimore with Jim Selinger, Chancellor for Education for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, and Dr. Barbara Edmondson, who is Superintendent of Schools. After the break, we'll talk about the impact on some of our schools from this investment plan. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. The Knights of Columbus is urging its members and other U.S. Catholics to pray a novena from October 30th to November 7th, the eve of Election Day. The Church teaches that Catholics are called to form their consciences based on Church teaching and vote in accordance with that well-formed conscience, said Supreme Knight Carl Anderson, who is CEO of the International Fraternal Organization based in New Haven. The Knights Novena, nine consecutive days of prayer, asks the intercession of Mary, the mother of Jesus, under her title of the Immaculate Conception. Individuals, families, councils, and parishes are all invited to participate, the knight said. Mary Immaculate is the patroness of the United States. In 1791, Archbishop John Carroll of Baltimore, the first bishop of the United States, dedicated his diocese to her. The first U.S. diocese, it covered the entire country. In 1846, the U.S. bishops reaffirmed that dedication, and Pope Pius IX ratified it in 1847. According to the Knights, the prayer was written for the 1959 dedication of the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, which includes a bell tower known as the Knights Tower. The Knights of Columbus donated money for the tower's construction. For the complete text of the Novena Prayer, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is George Matisek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, the Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have the Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. So we're talking again with Jim Selinger, Chancellor for Education for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, and Dr. Barbara Edmondson, Superintendent of Schools. 
we want to talk a little bit about what's going on with the uh, with this new schools plan, the investment plan. But in that plan, there are going to be some schools that will merge and will close. Talk to us a little bit about that. So first of all, I mean, the vision and master plan for future investments of, of uh, in Baltimore's Catholic schools on the east and west side. I mean, it was all about investment. Uh, no one wants to close schools. We really want to maintain our presence everywhere. But when you think about the, the outcome of the study and the analysis that was done, yes, there were four schools that were identified for either closure or merger. Uh, the four schools in, in question are, of course, Seton Keogh High School on the uh, uh, east side or west side of Baltimore, along with John Paul Regional on the west side. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, which is uh, actually in the central part of the city. Uh, just north of um, Baltimore City, and then also on the on the um, east side of Baltimore, we will be merging two schools, uh, St. Clements and St. Michael's, onto the St. Michael's campus. How many people are going to be affected by that? Students, families. When you look at the closures itself, the number of students that we that will matriculate uh, into this other schools next year would be 355 students. Uh, Out of about 17,000 in the about 17,000 in the whole archdiocese. So that you know. Uh, Although it be a small number, we're very sensitive to that. Um, no one wants to impact students and families. And uh, you know, the merger itself will affect uh, a couple hundred children at uh, St. Clement's moving into St. Michael's, uh, that, which has a couple hundred students itself. So the uh, number of total students impacted is, is roughly about 500 students when you think about closures and, more, and, um, and mergers. When you're looking at this in terms of, of making investments for the future, why was it important that, that these schools couldn't get a chance to go forward? You, you've talked a little bit about the, the educational facilities and the, the facilities themselves, the buildings themselves. Are some of these just not really ripe for being able to invest? Well, I mean, again, when you when this, the study team did their quantitative and qualitative analysis, they looked at four different aspects. If you look at demographics and the potential for current and future enrollment in those particular areas, if you look at the amount of uh, costs associated with uh, facility condition improvements just to keep the water out and the roofs on the, on the buildings and the skin of the building actually uh, being solid, then you think about the educational facility improvements that we would have to make in these particular schools, uh, which can be substantial, especially when schools are 61 years old. And then finally, you know, the, the last element would be the operation, ongoing operational expense uh, to sustain the school to deliver a high-quality uh, Catholic education, which our parents deserve and expect. And I think, Chris, to, to really look at that piece, the high-quality education, um, a facility that does not, uh, or a school that does not have a strong enrollment, um, doesn't really offer the same breadth of experiences to students, both socially as well as programmatically. Um, the, uh, in, a in a model where tuition is uh, really underwrites the budget, um, it is the main source of income to have a dwindling enrollment of any kind then impacts what opportunities there are for students. So we want all of our students to be in schools where they have a breadth of options, a breadth of programs, and the best of um, faculty and educational experiences. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at making the investments in the future, how much money is that going to be and how long is that going to take? What's the plan for that? First of all, the facility master plan is a 10-year plan. And the facility condition improvements that we're looking to make um, will exceed over $18 million. 
um, and then the educational facility improvements that we're looking to make uh, is additional $67 million. So, you know, when you think about the amount of investment we're talking about into the over a 10-year period, we're talking $86 million worth of investments that uh, we will work very closely with these schools to identify the high-priority items that, that need to be addressed first, uh, but the intent is to raise the level of these schools to be 21st century schools that can support future generation of Catholic students. And that first 18 million you're talking about is really just kind of the, the skin and the roofs and the and ADA accessible ramps and things like that to make sure that we're that the school building itself is a safe environment to 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 have an education. That's 18 million right off the bat. Correct. The 67 is about improving the educational experience in all of these schools. That's exactly right. Uh, when you think about the educational improvements, it's in learning areas, it's in arts education, it's in student dining. Uh, it's all about the support services that we offer our students and families and, and also you know, having the right shared support resources for the faculty and staff in the school. It even gets down to even a welcoming entry uh, for families and students as they come into the school. And yes, there's one other item, and of course it's a lightning rod, uh, is, is air conditioning. Uh, you know, we've actually priced into this thing the, the actual cost it would take for us to, to do air conditioning in these schools. Now, it's, when you start putting air conditioning in 61-year-old schools, uh, you've got to be careful. But yeah. uh, we're doing due diligence right now on how we can cost-effectively uh, put air conditioning in schools. When you go forward in this, obviously there's going to be some of those folks at the schools that are being affected who are who are going to uh, there's going to be some pain involved in that how are you contacting them what's what's the process for letting them know what's going on and and helping them move to a new school in the future well this the families who were affected by this this uh, plan and the decisions made in this plan were um, were first contacted um, in a written communication explaining the decision and what would be happening and then follow up personal phone calls um, to those families as well as ongoing support ongoing support through human resources to the faculty as well as ongoing to support to ensure that those families transition to the school of their choice and that it's a positive experience for all of them so that is our primary focus right now yes we've talked about the the, the vision for um, for our schools and future investments but right now in the here and now it's about the children and the families and the young people that have been affected by these decisions and ensuring that their future is bright. Um, it may be in another building, but that they, they remain um, our students and part of our Catholic school community. This plan comes from an 18-month study of a lot of the factors at, at all of the schools, both on the east side and west side of the city. But it builds on the, the Blue Ribbon Plan for Catholic Schools that were released in 2010. How does it build on that and, and how does it position us for the next 10 years? The, the, uh, the Blue Ribbon Plan that was uh, set forth in 2010 had a focus on accessibility, affordability for families, and um, in doing so, sustainability, that enrollment would, uh, would stabilize. And we've worked that plan, which had many programmatic leadership recommendations 
new governance model to change the uh, complexion of school boards. So those things have been implemented over the last five to six years. Now we're in a place where we have to ensure that in, in order for those programs to continue, in order for our, our students, our graduates, to prepare, be prepared for college, to be prepared for the, the work world, that they must come to school in facilities, not only that we would think are in good shape from a maintenance and repair aspect, but really that offer the kind of learning environments that will prepare them for, for the, their futures. And so this is really the next step. Parents told us, both those who attend our schools and those who might want to attend our schools, told us that they value our excellence in education, they value, greatly value the formation of their children, but they want to make sure that their children attend schools that have every option afforded to them. And that really is our goal with these future investments moving forward with a, with a vision for, um, for the future. Thanks yeah. very much. We've been yeah. Go ahead. make one last comment. Um, you know, Dr. Evanson and I, you know, as we went through this process, and the the outcome, of course, is, is the plan that we're talking about. But we are committed to safeguarding the legacy of Catholic education in Baltimore and enhancing its quality for current and future generations of students. That's what this plan is all about. Mm -hmm. So. God's blessing and we'll hopefully get this accomplished. Great. Thanks. We've been talking today with Dr. Uh, Dr. Barbara Edmondson, Superintendent of Schools, and Jim Selinger, Chancellor for Education, about the new vision and master plan for Catholic education and for investment in that in the coming 10 years. You're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.